Today on Blue 58, the best way to become a better football fan is to learn from smart football people. Here are three books that will help you do just that. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. couple different kinds of episodes this week. Hopefully, if you are listening to this one, you have just yesterday, I believe it should be yesterday, heard our recap of the Packers' win and or loss over the Vikings. I'm actually recording this on Sunday, the 22nd, uh, so we can have some content come out over the uh, the Christmas holiday week. Uh, just wanted to put some stuff into your feed while you're out and about with your families, maybe traveling a little bit so you have some stuff to listen to, but obviously to do that, got to record some stuff a little bit ahead of time. This is going to be obviously evergreen content, um, so stuff that is not necessarily tied to happenings with the NFL this week. It looks by and large like things are largely going to be sorted out for the Packers even before they they face off with the Vikings on Monday night. Uh, their playoff seating could move a little bit. We're going to know more after all this week shakes out and heading into to next next Sunday. But for Wednesday and Friday of this week, we're going to have some more evergreen content we'll pick up uh, with the live stuff right after the the Lions game. But I thought we would try to leave you, like I said, with some content, but also with some some reactions to things that could happen this week. So uh, if something good happens for the Packers this week, uh, just consider this my reaction to uh, to that news. This is really awesome for the Packers, and I think it's really going to help them in the playoffs. Now, that was just for something positive. If something negative would happen, here's the reaction to that. This is super unfortunate, and I don't think the Packers are really going to benefit from this at all in the playoffs. In fact, it's probably going to hurt them, and there are some really good reasons for that. Uh, finally, if the news is a little bit more like right down the center and we're not really sure how it's going to affect the Packers, here is that reaction. Just pencil this in, put it into whatever podcast that, that you would imagine us producing, and it'll probably be fairly accurate. Uh, I'm not really sure how this is going to affect the Packers. Let's wait and find out together because I think that's the best way forward. Hopefully that covers all of our bases this week. Uh, we could go into some news about the uh, the potential death of Gerald Ford, although I think that has already taken place. Um, although I, I, I do understand that there is a chance that he could be attacked by a pack of wolves. It's possible, unlikely. I don't want to put all of those on tape, though, so let's just get into the content that we were, were going to do this week. An unusual side effect that I discovered from from adding the new co-host to the lineup this year uh, was a lot more time to read. So, as well, there's a, another part of that story. I had a lot of time this year because uh, in, in between applying for jobs, there wasn't a whole lot to do other than making sure the new co-host had all the, the food and, and clean diapers that he could handle. Um, so we had a lot of time to read this year, and I spent a lot of that time reading books about football. And, and a lot of those books are really helpful for increasing my understanding of the game, and I think they do a lot for you. So I thought for this episode, I would spend a little time talking about three books that I think could help increase your football knowledge in, in 2020. Three great football books to read next year. They're not super scheme-heavy. They're not super... Well, we'll we'll describe them when we get to them. But first, I want to talk about a few few runners up um, to the top three this year. First, Undefeated uh, by Steve Scheinkin. This is the story of Jim Thorpe and the Carlisle Indians, a, a Native American academy school uh, where Jim Thorpe played. Uh, this is a history of of his athletic career, uh, his time playing both 
amateur and professional football, doing stuff in the Olympics. And the thing that you take away from this book is that almost everything about Jim Thorpe seems legendary. And if there's a criticism to this book, I would say that maybe it doesn't necessarily clear a whole lot of that up as much as it could, but maybe that's the point. Because some figures are just going to seem legendary even with the best possible research. And unfortunately, early 20th century news coverage of Native American athletic achievements, uh, other than stuff like the Olympics or when Carlisle was playing Harvard or one of the other big schools, is pretty sparse. And a lot of the stats just seem incredible. And I don't doubt that they were, but you, you wonder how accurate it really was just because of the the coverage of sports in general being different and the coverage of these particular kinds of sports uh, being a little bit different. But this is worthwhile just because of how it treats one of the more legendary sporting figures of the 20th century. Check that one out. Second one, uh, second runner-up is That First Season by John Eisenberg. This is a pretty intimate look at Vince Lombardi's first season as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. I think when you look back at Vince Lombardi, you think of him as the five championships in seven years type coach, the guy who has the, the trophy named after him, the guy who's wearing the camel hair coat and the fedora, stomping up and down the sideline, doing all of those things. And he basically was that person the entire time, but it didn't mean the same thing the entire time that he was a a head coach in the NFL. And when you go back to that first season, literally and figuratively, when we're talking about this book, uh, you really see some of the risk that was present there, both for the Packers and for Lombardi. He was fairly old for a first-time head coach for the era, and people wondered if this was his last best shot at being a head coach if it hadn't gone well it probably it probably would have been his his last shot uh considering some of the the limitations for um an italian american in the united states at that at that time it may not have happened again for him uh but things obviously turned out pretty well for vince lombardi and for the packers and seeing where it all began before vince lombardi was vince lombardi is really interesting especially some of the the perspectives that you get from players i would love to see something similar uh, to this for like the New England Patriots or even for, for Mike Holmgren's Packers, if we could get a look at, uh, both of those coaches before who they, before they became the sort of figures that we thought they were, both in football history for Bill Par, or for Bill Belichick, not Parcells, good grief. And, uh, in Mike Holmgren for the Packers. Obviously, we think of them a lot different now than we did when they first took over in their positions. What was it like? At the time, I think that's interesting, and that's what you get in this book from from John Eisenberg. Uh, third runner-up is The Last Headbangers from Kevin Cook. I think transition periods between eras in just about anything is history, any part of history. Uh, I used the example um, early, early in 2019, talking about the reforms that that Mark Murphy was doing with the Packers. Is uh, I, I used the Marian reforms in in Roman history as an example of how transitions can set you up for success, but also be your undoing, uh, depending on how you handle them. Uh, the Last Headbangers is all about the transition between the old school NFL and kind of the new school NFL. It starts in kind of the immediate or a few years after the post-Lombardi era, so late 60s, early 70s, and covers right up until the rise of Bill Walsh's 49ers teams. For my money, this is probably the most brutal period in the NFL because you're to a point where you have modern athletes with relatively modern strength training and even performance-enhancing drugs and things like that. Weightlifting was much more common in the 70s than it was in the 60s. Uh, if you look at the, the the Lombardi Packers, Jim Taylor was one of the only players who lifted weights 
everyone else thought it would make you too bulky or whatever. Now uh, someone who didn't lift weights would be looked at as an, an insane person. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the NFL that was present already in the 70s. Everybody was doing that. Uh, so you had modern athletes, but the game itself was not the modern game yet. It was a lot more run heavy. There were a lot more rules that restricted passing. This is that era. This is what the last Headbangers talks about. And just the brutality of football in that era is fascinating to explore in this book. So I would, if you're interested in that, I would check that out. Finally, as an immediate follow-up to that book, I would check out Montana by Keith Dunavant. Uh, the question of who should be most responsible for a legend's success, I think, is a, a familiar one to Packers players or to Packers, well, probably to Packers players, but to Packers fans in particular. We've had it with two quarterbacks in a row now, Brett Favre and now Aaron Rodgers. Who is the most responsible for the success of those two players? This book doesn't answer that question as it pertains to Joe Montana per se, but it is an interesting exploration of the sort of conditions that led to Joe Montana's success, who he was as a person, his sort of backstory, how he came to be the sort of athlete that he was, just the athlete that he was in general. This is a, a, a worthwhile read. I would check it out. Finally, before we go into my actual top three books that I want to recommend, I should point out that none of these are necessarily new books. These are books that have been around for a while, and you may have already heard of them. But I think for a broader audience, if you haven't read the bo these books, these are, these are definitely ones that you should check out. So we'll count down three, two, one, third best, second best, first best, or favorite, or however you want to do it for the books I read in 2019 that I think you should read in 2020, answering a few questions about each of them. What is it? Why is it good? Why should you read it? And what's a good quote from this book that's kind of representative of, of the story as a whole? First, I'm going to start with the book Collision Low Crossers. And this is a very, very valuable book for Packers fans so long as Mike Pettin remains the defensive coordinator in Green Bay and even well after that because it teaches you a lot about how the NFL works. The nuts and bolts of this book are pretty simple. Nicholas Davidoff spent a season with the New York Jets and meticulously covered everything that happened while he was there. It's the 2012 season um, and it was basically the, the end of the the Rex Ryan era, the last kind of gasps of the Rex Ryan era in New York, a team kind of always on the cusp of greatness, but never quite getting all the way there. And it's an interesting exploration of how that feels. How does it feel to be close, but not all the way there? And uh, maybe realizing that, you know, we might not actually ever get there. Why is this book good? Two reasons. First, it shows what it's actually like to be an NFL coach. I think a lot of us are tempted by the idea that we could do what Matt LaFleur or Mike Pettin or any of the, the Packers or coaches throughout the league could do, could do. But this book really shows how much of a challenge it is. And even if you think you could do it, it raises the question of whether or not you would actually want to. Because being an NFL coach, at least as it's presented in this book, is monotonous and tedious and quite often pretty boring, but also insanely stressful. And it is absolutely relentless. And this is something that I think if you if you cover football at all in any capacity, that you you get a bit of a taste of the, the relentless nature. So say, for instance, um, we do a podcast after a game on, on a Sunday. If we get that up by 10 o'clock on a Sunday night already, that content is on a shelf life. We got to start preparing the next thing that's coming up for Wednesday and then the next thing for Friday. And by the time a game ends, all of that stuff is, is done. Multiply that times about a billion and you've got the life of an NFL coach. It's 
the the reason that all these coaches talk about the game ending and then going immediately upstairs and watching film of the game that you just played or coached or whatever is because that's what you have to do to feel like you can compete in the NFL today. Because as soon as that that whistle blows to end the game, you're on the clock to start the next game. And it never slows down until you get to the end of the season. And even then, maybe not so much. Secondly, this book really humanizes players in ways that kind of seem common now, but really kind of unheard of even a few years ago when this book came out, 2013. Even just six years later, I think we see players a lot different than we did at that time. We see them a lot more as people now than we did at the time. And this book does a great example of exploring what it's like to be a person trying to succeed in this NFL, having all these expectations placed on you. A recurring character in this book is Jets cornerback Antonio Cromartie, who is repeatedly, repeatedly characterized throughout the book as a just great guy to be around, very friendly, great personality, uh, and an absolute freak show athlete. Like everyone, every player that talks about him in this book mentions him as one of the two or three best athletes they've ever seen. And they're around professional athletes all the time, every single day. But the frustrating thing is he never really puts it all together. He seems to be able to do it kind of at the drop of a hat, but he doesn't do it consistently. So how do you, how do you deal with a guy like that who is wonderfully talented, great to be around, but doesn't put it all together and has some very frustrating personal attributes on top of that, just look into some of the stuff that you know about his personal life, his relationships with his many, many children. Um, but this book does a great job of humanizing that and not really concluding anything about guys like Antonio Cromartie. It presents everything about him. It says that he's this great athlete. He's a phenomenal player sometimes. He's not so great other times. Uh, and he's got a complicated life off the field. That's a full picture of a player, and you really get that in this book. And I think that's something that's important to keep in mind. You should read this if you want to know what it feels like to actually work in the NFL. Because this book, I think more than any other I've read that's similar to this, will help get you there. It's going to make you understand what it's like to uh, to be an NFL coach, to deal with the stresses and pressures of, of, of the deadlines, the countless, constant, relentless schedule. The thing after thing after thing that's always happening. You've always got something to do and it's always a couple hours away and you've only got 15 minutes or it's always 15 minutes away and you've got a couple hours worth of work to do. It's got to be a frustrating, exhausting existence. And this book really demonstrates what that's like. A good quote from this one, uh, the one that sticks out in my mind, maybe it's just because I'm a dad now, but thinking about this one, uh, I hope I can read it all the way through without without choking up a little bit just because of what, what it makes me think about. Uh, Sion Pouha was a defensive lineman who played for the Jets from 2005 through 2012. A defensive tackle, defensive lineman. You wouldn't normally get a ton of information about him otherwise, even though he played for a long time, more than 100 NFL games in his career. He didn't play a glamour position. And unless you're a Jets fan, you probably don't know a ton about him. But here's a nugget that really sticks with me as I think back to this book. Quote, Pouha was the only Tongan on the team. The other Polynesians were of Samoan ancestry. Something else separated him from them. The last time Pouha spoke with his father, the father had touched his hair. And when he had died shortly thereafter, Pouha had decided not to cut his hair again in paternal memory. It flowed out from the nose tackle's helmet like a shroud. And when Pouha felt himself to be in stressful circumstances, he touched it. End quote. Just a tiny, tiny moment of humanity in this brutal, relentless sport 
of football. And that really sticks with me. Those, those nuggets are plentiful throughout this book. So Collision Low Crossers, check that one out. Number two book that I would recommend to you um, this year is America's, America's Game by Michael McCambridge. What is it? It's a comprehensive history of the NFL that somehow doesn't get too bogged down. Relatively brief read for a book that covers almost 100 years of NFL history. This is good because it shows both where the league has been and where it's probably going. It's not too hard to read this book and get a pretty good idea of where the NFL is going to end up. It also shows how lucky the NFL was to have commissioners with tremendous foresight at important times in league history, uh, particularly Burt Bell and Pete Rozelle. You can't read this book without coming away impressed with uh, what they understood about what football was and what it could be. I think it also shows the difference between those commissioners and the last couple we've had. Now, if Bell and Rozelle were both sort of visionaries uh, who really understood where football could go, Paul Tagliabu and Roger Goodell are much more stewards and caretakers, one probably better than the other, and I'll leave you leave that to you to decide who. But they're really trying to more shepherd the game into, into the future than really lay out a new future, which is what Bell and Roselle really had to do just because of when they were commissioners of the NFL. I think you should read it uh, because things are about to change in a big way in the NFL. And this is where we're really going to see what kind of commissioner Roger Goodell is, because I think this next TV deal uh, and the uh, potential streaming rights it could can- contain is going to really change things for the NFL if they get it right. Uh, this next labor deal could shake things up a lot. It may not change anything either. Um, but, you know, with talk about a potential 17th game, how that streaming stuff, again, is going to uh, to affect the future of the game. And... Uh, Understanding both the stakes there and what it takes to succeed in those situations is is crucial, and I think this book will help you do that. Good quote from this game or from this book. Again, another little glimpse into into the humanity or the human side of football uh, from a really really smart coach. So think back to the year two thousand. The two thousand Kansas City Chiefs went seven and nine under head coach Gunther Cunningham. A lot of bad stuff happened for the Chiefs in the year nineteen ninety nine, or through after the 1999 season. They had a rough year in 1999 as well. Three weeks after that season ended, Derek Thomas, their legendary linebacker, passes away. Then they go through the 7-9 and slog that is the 2000 season, and they lose their last game of that year on Christmas Eve, 29-13. to What a perfect score for the end of a 7-9 and season, 29-13. to I don't know what it is about those numbers, but it just feels right. So what does Gunther Cunningham do? He comes into the office on Christmas morning, the day after the season ends, at 5 in the morning to review the season, watch tape, stuff like that. And here's how Bill Walsh reacted to that. Quote, that's just self-inflicted victimization. You can become so possessed at what you do and you want so dearly to be successful that you'll do anything. You'll sacrifice anything to be successful. In this case, the sacrifice is your entire existence to satisfy your need to convince yourself you're working so hard that you will be successful. When in reality, it's just flailing at the wind, just howling at the sky. End quote. Bunch of quotes like that in this book really shows... Without ever asking the question, it asks the question, at what cost? The NFL expands from this little tertiary league behind baseball, behind college football, way distant third at best among uh, the, the NFL or the, the, the nation's sports consciousness to become this juggernaut of a league. 
but at what cost? A lot of people get chewed up and spit out by the NFL. Should be noted that Gunther Cunningham was fired after the 2000 season, and he was never a head coach in the NFL again. He did spend Christmas morning, the day after a 7-9 season, in his office, though. We'll end on a happier note. <laughs> we'll end on a happier note after that. Uh, the, the book I would recommend to you the most uh, that you read in, in 2020 is The Perfect Pass by S.C. Gwynn. This book is subtitled American Genius and the Reinvention of Football. What is this? Well, first and foremost, it's a history of the air raid offense, something that is really making its first official forays into the NFL this year, though its influences have been felt in the league for some time. It's also a history of the great coach Hal Mummy, who is going to be coaching in the XFL with the Dallas Renegades. It's also a small explanation for why Mike Leach is so weird. And if you know anything about college football, you know about Mike Leach and you know that he is an unusual character, to put it very mildly. Why is it good? Well, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Football is a weird game that is played and coached by weird people. If you spend any amount of time around football coaches or you listen to them talk, you just understand how they are. Football coaches are weird. You might say they're not well. And you can mean that as lovingly as possible and also have it be accurate. These guys are, are not always right in the head. And that comes across in a big way in The Perfect Past. Because this book is the story of two guys, Hal Mummy and Mike Leach, who said, Hey, what if we were weird all of the time? And weird on purpose because we think being weird, at least being weird in a way then that it's different from everyone else in the in the world of football. What if doing all that is the best way to win football games? That's kind of how the air raid offense was born, and it grows from there. You should read it because passing is becoming more important with each quote unquote passing year. It's gonna be more important in the NFL next year than it was this year. And there's really no reason to assume it's going to be any different for the following years after that or for the foreseeable future beyond that. This is book, this book is a good explanation of how an important influential scheme works without bogging you down for non-graduate level football understanders, if you, if you get that. It's also a great example of how awful it is to try to cr- climb the ranks as a football coach. Even as a good one, Hal Mummy's a pretty darn good football coach, above average at the very least, uh, innovations on offense notwithstanding. Uh, He's at at very least, as far as running a program and stuff like that, a pretty good to very good football coach. And and in terms of innovation, uh, one of the best probably ever. A good quote from this book, kind of representative of the sort of story that you're going to understand or uh, come to understand if you read this book. Hal Mummy and Mike Leach arrived together at Iowa Wesleyan College in 1989. Iowa Wesleyan had a very awful football program. And this quote comes from uh, the first meeting when Mummy and Leach are going to to get together with the team uh, after the 1988 season, very early in 1989, just heading into their long winter offseason. Quote, Waiting for them when they arrived were five players and one coach. They were assembled in an old classroom on the gym's third floor. Three of the five players had come with Hal from Texas. The coach was Mike Major, Hal's defensive coach. The other two players were holdovers from the previous year's team. One was a skinny guy who looked as though he did not play football. The other looked as though he might conceivably be able to hit somebody. The meeting had been scheduled for 3 p.m. Hal waited. Nobody else showed up. The clock hit 310, and the skinny guy raised his hand. Are you the no coach, he asked. Yeah, Hal replied. Who are you? 
I'm Bill Link, the punter. Well, where's everybody else? Link replied in dead silence. This is all that came back. Hal went ahead anyway with his upbeat, we're going to win some football game speech to the remaining players. He then explained that in order to accomplish that, the team was going to be lifting weights all winter. At that point, the bigger guy from the 88 squad got up and walked out. End quote. It sounds like a cliche from a bad sports movie. That is the life of Hal Mummy, an interesting guy who's perpetually living out the worst cliches from uh, from bad sports movie as he as he tries to to take his his football knowledge around the country and spread the gospel of the air raid offense to whoever will listen. And he's had a lot of success wherever he's gone. Those four players, after that guy got up and walked out, went on to be a pretty good team. They went 7-4 and four of Mummy's first year at uh, Illinois Wesleyan. Two years later, they were in the national quarterfinals. It's a good read. Check out The Perfect Pass by S.C. Gwynn. Those are three books I would recommend to you uh, for the 2020 year. Uh, there's a couple others that I might be interested in reading that I haven't gotten to yet. I've explored or thought about, I guess, the idea of a Blue 58, the Power Sweep book club. If that's something that you might be interested in, hit me up on Facebook or on Twitter or via email uh, at the contact page at thepowersweep.com. That's something we might be able to do in 2020. That might be fun to, to do together. If you like what you heard on this episode and want to help us keep things going, take out your phone, uh, rate, and review the uh the, the the podcast that does help more people find the show. It should be pointed out that we just recently passed 100 reviews in the Apple Podcast app. That's great. I do appreciate all of the five-star reviews. And to the person who is bold enough to leave the three-star review, I have this to say to you. Thank you. Appreciate the feedback. Uh, I, everybody has their opinion. And if you thought, think this is just a three-star podcast, that is that is certainly something that you are entitled to think. So thank you for the feedback there. Uh, we'll try harder to make that a five-star podcast for you in the future. Check it out. Uh, check us out on Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep. We've got our t-shirts and sweatshirts on Teespring. Click the shop link at ThePowerSweep.com to get your way over there. As I always say, hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, if you've got a question, a thought, some feedback, whatever, never hesitate, hesitate to reach out because if you're thinking it, chances are somebody else is as well, and that'll help us advance the conversation and help everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.